0: I'm grateful to be able to share the word with you this morning. I uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there was a time when um, single-syllable words in my life brought joy and amazement to the people in my life. You might not remember that, but you probably remember when it happened for others. When uh, a child says, Mama, Dada, and the very simplest of things bring a just a... Did you hear that? He said, he said, Mommy. He said, Daddy. Just, just brought joy to the life of, your, of our parents. In a time when a burp was considered a triumph. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, good boy, good boy. You know, he just let it out. And it was just like, wow. You know, it's celebrated. And, and there are many other things of, of when, we are, when we are young that, that are, are very syllable. But, you know, now, if I was to talk to you in only... I don't know, how could I do it? Sing, go, no, it doesn't work because it's still a double, it's a multiple syllable word. But if I was to only be able to converse with you in single syllable words, after a while we'd say, there's a problem here. And maybe we would seek some help so that my speech could be developed. But if it wasn't, if that wasn't addressed, it would become a barrier to our relationship because we really wouldn't be able to communicate with one another. Or if I, unless I was in Greece, which I hear is maybe the place where you can still belch and say that's a good meal. But if I was to come up to you and just let one go, you know, or, or you know, kids will often when they burp, they kind of put a little bit on your shoulder and they share a little bit of the goods with you. Now, if I was to come up to you and do that, would that build our relationship? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so we have an expectation that our actions, our words, the things that we do as we age, uh, those things will mature. And um, as I was thinking about the message this, this week, this is what came to me. The Apostle Paul said this in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a, it's a passage that is often used at weddings because it talks about love. But, but the Apostle Paul says this. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or an adult, I put childish ways behind me. And, uh, and I wonder what comes to mind when you think of these things as, as a child. What, what does a child sound like when they begin to learn to speak? So, of course, there's this, this love and this, this wonder of the, of the mama and the dad. But, but as we know, kid, children soon grow up. And what are the primary things that, that begin to come out of their mouth? They, they say, I want uh, they begin to ask for things. And uh, if any of you have seen the uh, movie Finding Nemo, you might recognize this sound. And uh, Alan's just going to pull that up for us. It might be the sound that you hear from children on a regular basis. Is it working there, Alan? No. No? Okay, how many, how many have seen the movie Finding Nemo? Okay, so you've all seen the seagulls, right? And so what is the sound that they do? My Mine! 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 Yeah, it sounds exactly like that. Actually, <laughs> we we got to cut a video in this church, man. We got all this stuff. But <laughs> it's a it's a it's a wonder, it's a funny funny picture. But the seagulls like the, the, instead of that, when they call, they they just say mine mine mine. It's because because it's all about what it's all about them. And so that's that's some of the things that that we hear coming out of a child on, on so so often and and. And we're just going to try to show this video in just a second here, Alan, so maybe you can get that ready. But, you know, it's easy to pick on children and to say that that they're the only ones that have a universe that's as, as small as them. It's easy to pick on young people and to say, well, they're the only ones that that begin to, to say mind, 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 want, want, want. Because it's, it's, it's often the case for ourselves as well. And uh, I think this is this commercial, if we're able to bring it up, uh, will be a good example of that. We've got all day. That's right, we're all adults here, so we're very patient. That's right. There we go. Alright, let's watch this. Hey, what? Can you turn that up, Brad, please? What do you Channel 60? A Kindle touch. Oh, yeah? Got me the. <laughs> I love technology, I hate technology. I love technology, I hate technology. Hey, what? What'd you get at the source? A Kindle Touch. Oh, yeah? Got me the new Samsung tablet 2.0. I guess that's as cool as my drone quadricopter 2.0. Tell that to my new. <sighs> Got a little bit of downloading issues here. Let's see if we can let it finish. What do you think, Al? No? Okay. Anyways, uh, as the. When I when I tell you it's not going to be as funny as when you actually watch it. So I don't even know if I want to tell you what happens, right? <laughs> but basically these guys go back and forth, they go back and forth about all of the different things that they can buy. And uh and the very end of the commercial is this, I want that. And it is a commercial that is very much geared it's not necessarily geared to kids. It's adults to adults. And uh and so, you know, a lot of times kids will, you know, walk through a store and they see a toy and they want to have that. And I think what happens is that, you know, we think that as adults we get so sophisticated, but it's not really us that get sophisticated. It's just our toys that get sophisticated. So it goes from a little cart to a big cart that we can put into the garage. It goes from, you know, a little uh, play toy with lights and stuff that we can beep. And now we've got a new toy that has lights and stuff that beep as well. And it costs $700 instead of $30 from Zellers. You know what I mean? There's a sense of. That that we become, uh, that we become like us. You know, it's all about us. And to be an adult in the kingdom, I think, is what we just practiced together here as as a as a church family. It is to to live as what Jesus said is true that it is better to give than to receive. Jesus said, to be an adult, to to grow in the kingdom is to, to move from, away from selflessness as a key behavior um, to generosity. Because the Bible tells us that the father is generous towards his children. He says that he gave his only son. It says that he generously gives wisdom to everyone who would ask. The Bible tells us that he pours his rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not about how good we are. He's just generous. Jesus says this also in Matthew chapter 7. I think Lefty's going to maybe pick up on this a little bit more in the next week. But ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everybody who asks, what? Receives. And he who seeks, finds. And who, those for who knock on the door, the door will be opened. And Jesus says this. He says, which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... So you are evil and corrupted. If you then who say, like the guys in the commercial that we didn't get to see, I want, if if you then are that way, know how much to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So one of the things about you know, when Paul says, When I was a child, I thought like a child. And to think in kingdom terms is to think like our father does. About generosity, about the giving to others. And when I was a child, he said also that I felt like a child. He said, "How does a child think?" And uh, and somebody reminded me of this. Um, you know, when we're kids, we think of our world as being about the size that we are. And so, so you know, when you're when you're really small, it's kind of the nursery, and maybe. The walk to the living room and back to the nursery, and when we get a little bit older. Maybe we can explore the house in the backyard, and then as we as we go up a little bit, you know, for me it was it was a, it was probably a 900 square foot house on on 16th Avenue. That was my world, and then the backyard, and my my dad made a playhouse, and we could climb up into some of the fruit trees. But you know, so my world was expanding, and then this young boy Doug Stowley he moved in for, across the street, and so for the first time I could expand my universe, and I go into his house play with his toys well my 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 universe has just expanded by twice, and then I got to go to elementary school and and we and we grow but our but our our world is in many ways the same size as us and I think that that what God wants to do is he wants to expand that universe you know and uh and, and so the question is how big is our world and I think the, the, the bigness or the vision of the world that we have is in many ways um, just like in the natural. If, if your family has resources, you can begin to see different things that you've never seen before. You can experience different things that you've never experienced before. And our Heavenly Father has incredible kingdom resources, and he wants us to have an expansive vision of what this world is, of what his kingdom rule is. And so when we read this morning from Colossians chapter 1, what Carol read to us this morning, it's huge in terms of who is Jesus. So, And when we put childish ways behind us, we begin to look at who Jesus is, not just for us, but for the whole world. So Jesus isn't just my personal savior we see that he's the savior of the world. And in fact, when he translates some of these passages where it talks about Jesus' salvation, He says he's the savior of the whole cosmos. The whole universe has been saved by Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. I know what it looks like for me when I'm saved in my, I know when my sins were forgiven and just the blessing of grace that I received in my life. I know that. And I know some of the experiences that God has led me to that of, of abundant provision and, and just in ways that I never could have seen uh, are foreseen and he and 's done that, but I have no idea what it means to, to what does it mean to save the universe? Does it mean there 's no more black holes i, I, I don 't know Does it mean that there 's life on Mars after all, maybe in the new heavens and the new earth but he didn 't just come to reconcile me to God, but it says here it says that he came to reconcile all things to himself, things on earth and in heaven. It says that he isn 't just the head of our church. He's the head of the church worldwide. And Jesus both celebrates the health of the church in different parts of the world when it is vibrant and alive. And Jesus also cries and mourns when his church is broken. Not just here, but in other places in the world. And, and when we have an, a vision of the God of the universe that, that loves his people everywhere, that loves his church everywhere, that it is for that bride that he is coming. How does that expand our vision of our world? how does that? What difference does that make in terms of how we relate to both our neighbors as well as to maybe our brothers and sisters in other churches? I think the other way that a child thinks is is with a short attention span. Uh, we often hear this, right? You're on a road trip, and what's the question that comes from the back seat? Are we there yet? <laughs> Could that be true about our kingdom life? Hey God, are we there yet? Can, can we be there now? This this process is driving. I'm really not a fond of that. Can we just uh, uh, do a little Star Trek thing and can you teleport me? <laughs> just just make it happen right now. Uh, the One of the things that Megan and I were able to do on our uh, holiday was to attend a conference. And one of the things that we were just reminded of is that you know some of what we're doing here today is because of the work of others in the past and the faithfulness of others in the past. I'm uh, I know for for a lot of our older folks. Hi, I, in this video, I'm going to show you how to make more than $700 in 15 minutes from home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't. <laughs> That's right, seven hundred dollars in fifteen minutes. That's amazing. That has the ring of truth to it, doesn't it? <laughs> Any more surprises? I was just—I'd be ready. Or <laughs> that was great. <laughs> now, I what wanted—what's that? Oh, adware. Okay, sorry. That's right. That's all right. I know you'll clean it up. But now now our ancestors, and particularly those that are <laughs> the older ones in our church, um, they weren't trumpeting that same sound. Hey, in 15 minutes, we can grow this church. They actually have labored for years and years and decades and decades alongside of us. And... Uh, and Alfred, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but one of the things I remember you saying early on when we were as Jericho Road and we were about this many of us getting together. And uh, I always remember her saying that, um, you know, I just, I just can't see why this thing isn't going to take off. I just know this thing is going to work. <laughs> and she, just, she would often just repeat that phrase of faith to see what we do not yet experience. And we've experienced that not just from Alpha but from so many in this congregation of establishing us in such a way that we can build towards a new future. And it's a beautiful thing. And it, we're mindful that that is the case for us who are here today. It's also the case for, uh, that what we do today needs to be done in such a way, that it needs to establish a foundation upon which a future generation can also build to go places where we haven't gone. And, you know, if if you have God-sized dreams and God-sized visions, you know, it's it's quite likely that the things that are on our hearts here today, they may not be fulfilled in our lifetime. But through our faithfulness, we can see them built in a generation after us. Would we live and act in such a way faithfully here today, knowing that even if we don't see it, that future generations will reap the fruit of what we have done. And I believe that's what we're about, actually, as a church. That this is beautiful, what, what God has done in the last number of years in pulling us together and, and the people that he's, he's brought to himself that now celebrate their life with us on Sunday mornings and other ways as a church. But ultimately, we, and those of you who are new, we are partnering together for a future that is greater than the one that we experience now. And, uh, and that takes time. It takes a patience. The bigger the change that we work for, the longer we must be willing to invest, to work, and to wait for it. And I think, you know, we, I want to ask you this question, are we okay with that? Are we okay with another generation going further than what we ourselves are able to go? And I know that it's, oftentimes it's easy to, to say Yes. I think about sports because I enjoy sports and I remember somebody saying once when, when my kids were very young about how oftentimes adults can, uh, they'll play the games with the kids when they're very young. And they'll play the games with the kids when they get to kind of middle age uh, teens, you know, middle teens. But as soon as their kids kind of get up into the 16, 17 year age where where their ability has now gone beyond that of, of the parent, but then the parent just kind of opts out. You know, it was fine while I could be. You know, I I don't dominate my children when I play basketball with them. I'm, well, every once in a while. But but you know, but but when now that when they start beating me every time that we go out on the floor, does that mean they? Oh, I guess my time is done. Or, I guess I'm just not going to engage anymore because it's, it's not fun. It was it was fine when I could give something to them, but now when they actually show me up, when they show me a better way, will I still participate? And I just want to encourage us to say that, you know, it's, it's one thing to say we will be a people that establish a foundation for a future generation to go beyond us. But it's a whole other thing to actually participate in that with them, to see them actually, to walk alongside them and to see them go further than us. It takes another extraordinary, it's, it's, it's a grown-up thing to do when i was a child i talked like a child i acted like a child it's a grown up thing to do to, to walk alongside and see them go beyond what you can do and still be there with them celebrate the, the 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 places that they go that i was unable to go and lastly paul says when i was a child i reasoned like a child one of one of my fond memories of when my boys grew up is that when uh we would kind of sit out we used to live on second avenue and we had a front porch and we would sometimes hang out at that porch and just watch cars go by. And my kids would say, that's a really nice car. And the reason they would say that is because it was really shiny. And uh, that one was really shiny. Did you see that, Dad? And there's nothing wrong with shiny things. Uh, shiny may be an, uh, an indication that it's actually a very good car. It might be brand new. Uh, might be well cared for by the owner. And so therefore, maybe, you know, shiny might be an indicator that that car is a good car. But for the rest of us in this room who have bought cars and experienced how they work and sometimes don't work, <laughs> we know that shiny isn't everything. And I wonder sometimes if we if we gravitate towards church as shiny. Um, if it's a polished sermon, is it a good sermon? If it's not so polished, is it a bad sermon? Or is what's underneath it all actually much more worthwhile than the shine? I, I'd just like to ask you to just to talk for a minute yourselves. I've been talking at you. I'd like you to talk with one another. In what ways do we sometimes allow ourselves to go towards shiny church as opposed to real church. And uh, so maybe that question or, or this question. Is there such thing as a shiny Jesus? If so what does that look like? If not, then, then talk about that as well. So shiny church, shiny Jesus. I'd like you to just uh, turn to somebody near you and talk about that for just a couple minutes and then I have a few more things just to close this morning. So just, just one more minute. Just uh, continue to talk for another minute or so. Okay, let's come together as we uh, <clears throat> wrap up. I think um, I think one of the things that Jesus was stirring in my heart as this message came together, and I, and I have to say, it's off, sometimes messages are just a real windy road, and they end up way different places than when you first start out. But I think you know, there's times where, as a as a child in my own experience. Uh, my world gets very limited. Um, I think of, uh, you know, sometimes, my, for those of you who don't know, my office is right out there. It's about 8 by 15 or something like that. It's, it's pretty small. And sometimes that could be the extent of my world, I'll admit. You know, like the things that I have to do and the papers that I have to write and the emails that I have to respond to, and, and that's just and it just goes around and around, and my world becomes pretty small. My physical world, sometimes my mental world as well. You know, the things that I meditate on, the things that, uh, yeah, that just begin to, that I allow to transform my mind, it it becomes just small influences. And uh, not that I just want to be a a big head on a little stick, but, you know, But my mind, the things that I put my thoughts to, I I, I think sometimes like a child. and, and, And I came across this quote as I was preparing for this message, and this is what really struck me. This is what sent me in this direction. It's by a fellow named Mark Labberton. He's an author and a a teacher, but he said this. John Calvin talked about the church as a school, a school where we learn and practice together the things that we're meant to do and to be in the world. And oftentimes the church isn't that kind of school, but is an inauthentic school. It doesn't really teach people hard lessons, it sort of baptizes them in pleasantries rather than actually teaching them hard lessons. And in that way, the church doesn't become the mature church that it's meant to be in the world. So we remain children in the wrong sense. We remain childish instead of childlike. And that phrase, it sort of baptizes them in pleasantries. I could not shake that phrase. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. How, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So what's happening? Oh, I'm busy. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a real nice uh, outfit you got on there today. How's, how was your holiday? And, uh, you know, you look great. If you got some sun, how about those Canucks? You know, when we come to church, do we baptize one another in pleasantries? Or are we, as Paul says in, in Romans, he says this, he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into what? Into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. But notice the trajectory of that life, that we are baptized into Christ into his death in order that we may rise to a new life. If we have been united with Jesus like him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And I, I think, you know, we... We can baptize each other in pleasantries. We can even have a God spin on them. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Now, that is a beautiful phrase. There's nothing wrong with that phrase. But in Second Timothy, he says, you know, that, that sometimes we can have a form of, of godliness, but it lacks power. And when we baptize each other in pleasantries, as opposed to living that truth, that God is good all the time together with one another through both the good times and the difficult times it means actually nothing and so what we find in scripture is actually this this call to to grow up as children to mature and and what that looks like is that it's it's much deeper it's much sacri- more sacrificial than pleasantries it's it 's a It's about a willingness, and I think we 're growing in this as a church, but we need to constantly be reminded, and in particularly as new people are added in that we will be also a place that allows one another to confront one another with the truth it 's not just pleasantries we 're actually going to confront with truth, and sometimes it shows us in the Bible that sometimes those are really difficult words. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 3. This is the message. In the translation, it says, But for right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ and capable of nothing much more than nursing at the breast. Well, then I'll nurse you since you don't seem to be capable of anything more. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, are you really much different than the baby at the breast? Content only when everything's going your way. When one of you says, well, you know, I'm on Paul's side. And another one of you says, well, I'm on Apollos' side. Aren't you being totally infantile? Paul is is speaking to a situation in the church where somebody's like, I like this leader. No, 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 I don't like, I like this leader. And we start to have jealousy and, and factions and 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 stuff like that in the church, and what Paul says he says, "Now when you were a child, you thought like a child, you acted like a child, you be, but no longer. you are men and women of the gospel, so but you're acting like children. stop it, and it's not always an easy truth to be confronted with but but it has to happen again and again when I'll just want to give one other example in the in the gospels we see that those that were very close to Jesus often had this same kind of thing. And so, said so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I've got to be careful here because Jesus does said often comes to people and he says, what is it that you want? He calls out of them, the, the, what is the miracle that you need? What is the provision that you need from the Father? And so that is not always necessarily a bad question. But they... But they come with a different spirit, it seems. And so Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? They said, well, let us, one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, man, you do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What baptism is that? What baptism is that? We just talked about it. It's the baptism into death. Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Jesus asked him. He said, yes, we can. Jesus said, actually, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But I'll tell you what, to sit at my right hand and my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And so what happens now is is that they're fighting, or not fighting, but they're asking for a high position in Jesus' court. Now, that's two of the disciples. How many does that leave? At least ten. Okay. So there's ten outside that are just like, like, what about us? You guys, are, you know, how dare you try to get the best seats in the house? That's supposed to be for me. So when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, it says. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, so like just in the general population, lorded over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, who is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls us to a place where... We can be a church that is a school that learns what it means to be and to do what God wants to do in the world. And in order for us to do that, there will be times, plenty of times of encouragement, but also times of confrontation. But it is always for the purpose of of mutual growth. And I think it it takes time to have that kind of language in a church. One of the things that I'm going through personally right now is that my boys are getting older. They're 16 and 18. Joshua is going to go off to college this year. Uh, Ethan is entering his last years of of uh, high school, and it demands of me a different kind of language, a different kind of conversation with my kids. It's it's time to go to bed now. Uh, that doesn't happen at 18 years old. And you know what? And if I persisted in that, he's in three weeks. He's going to be in the 9 We'll go into Island University. Do you think that my, am I going to phone him? Yeah, that's right. Hey, hey, are you in bed yet? How's that going to work for me? I need to have a new language because my son is now an adult. And Christ has said that we are no longer, we are his children. Just as, you know, my, my parents are here. I'm still their son. But my conversations with my mom and my dad are very different than when I was four and six years old. We talk in many ways as equals, even though I still look to them for certain things. But now they also come to me for certain things. There's there's an equality in that relationship. God is saying to us that that I want to be able to have those conversations with you, my kids. And in fact, He's been having them for a long time. But just for us to be able to to um, to embrace them, because Jesus said this. He says um, as He calls those men to be a servants, He says no servant is greater than his master. It's it's enough for what. It's enough for the servant to be like his master. And Jesus is saying that, you know, my growing up, Jesus says, when I became an adult, this is what it meant for me. We're going to have communion. And the prophet Isaiah actually prophesied what Jesus' adulthood will look like. It said he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment, punishment that was brought on Jesus brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. And when I was thinking of this, you know, as we come to the table for communion, uh, we're going to come to have bread. And Jesus, at one point in his ministry, said, "Unless a, a seed falls to the ground, and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it goes into the ground, it comes up and, and bears much fruit." And and in so, in, a, in kind of a different way, you know, unless the grain becomes crushed. And it becomes added with other things like, like the water and the, and the yeast and maybe a little bit of sugar just to sweeten it up. It doesn't become bread. It has first to be crushed. And just like the wine, you know, grapes are grated in and of themselves, but when you crush them and you add to them the other things, you know, if we can picture this, that it's the, the addition of the, of the spirit, that, that the grapes become wine. It becomes something that that we use for celebration, for cleansing. And so Jesus comes, invites us to come to the table and, and he says, uh, My children, come as adults. I know that w- at one time you, you thought like a child, you spoke like a child, you reasoned like a child, but you are now men and women in my kingdom. And what that means is is what, the same thing that it meant for me, that no greater love has anybody than this that he or she lay down their lives for their friends. And Jesus doesn't just speak it. He lived it. And the good news is, is that it wasn't all about, just didn't end with the crushing. Jesus is resurrected. And that is the hope that we celebrate. We, we remember his death until he comes. Why? Because it is the resurrection that we are invited into. Amen? Amen. Amen.